welcome to episode 106 of the Rise Up Good Witch podcast, a radical approach to herbalism, self-care, the tarot, pop culture, art and creativity, ancestral connection, and all forms of healing that can guide us towards collective liberation. This is your host, Tavi Elise. Thank you for joining us. This is a very special episode I am bringing you today. It is a hunter's full moon today and tomorrow on the weekend right before Halloween. Uh, It is a partial lunar eclipse. It is our second episode of October. And it is the first of what will hopefully be many musical episodes. In my former life as an arts and entertainment journalist, I developed a real love for interviewing musicians and getting to listen to their valuable insight and perspectives about their relationships with their art and their connections to environment and sound and energy. So it has been very soothing and grounding to me to connect with this powerful, singular, wandering witch who you're going to meet today, Kelly Frances Corrado. That was her song we just listened to, by the way. Before we get into this episode, I do just want to verbalize that unless you're wildly privileged or fully living under a rock... Um, we are all going through some very heavy and intense grief, heartache, and pain this month in relation to global events. It's important to me to explicitly state as somebody with even this relatively teeny tiny platform that that is in fact rooted in radical activism in mutual aid and community care and in liberation movements um, that I am an anti-Zionist Jew. I am pro-Palestine. I have been since a relatively young age, even though it has alienated me from some of my own family and Jewish community. This is a radical space and I do want to really continue to use this space for the highest good. If you're already a listener of Rise Up Good Witch, then I'm going to assume that I don't have to explain to you why genocide is bad or how Palestinians are indigenous people who deserve to live and thrive on it in their own land. And not be forced to continue living in what remains of that land, the open air prison that has been taken away from them brick by brick with unfathomable violence and cruelty for 75 years since the Nakba, AKA the mass displacement and dispossession of Palestinians during the 1948 Arab-Israeli war. As much as our own US government is committed fully committed to brainwashing us with racist, Islamophobic, and anti-Arab rhetoric, the silencing of dissent or any questioning of the state of Israel, and the idea that we as citizens can't make a difference in any of this. I, I know that 
there are so many voices right now. Um, there's so much static and fuzz. Um, if you spend even two minutes online at a time, it's just very overwhelming to be alive right now. Um, and the overwhelm is part of um, kind of this tapestry of disinformation and propaganda. And I just, I want to remind you that they are relying on us running out of steam and being too weary to speak up. Continued state violence thrives on indifference and apathy and ambivalence. And <laughs> it also relies on our tax dollars. Um, to, you know, fund endless death abroad. Um, so honestly, being a thorn in the side of our state and federal representatives and yelling at the top of our lungs for a ceasefire, annoying the shit out of them via phone, email, and protests, it's sincerely the least we can do. We are not, um, it should not be up to us <laughs> to prevent this. Um, and there may be only so much that we can do, but we can do something. And um, I want to encourage you to visit the links in the show notes that I'm providing here, um, including Jewish Voice for Peace, which is a really powerful organization doing a lot of work on the ground right now. Um, yeah, there's a lot of a variety of very easy ways to just do simple actions every day, taking 10, 15 minutes or less to contact your Congress people demanding an immediate ceasefire to Gaza so that aid can come in as well as links to some other action items like boycotting specific Israeli goods and reading books and articles to learn more about the Palestinian experience that is usually swept away from our media and history books. If you're able to even take a few minutes this week to make some calls, these links make it extremely easy and streamlined with scripts and prompts. I hate being on the phone more than most people, but um, I promise you it's painless. Um, please do speak up. It is a numbers game, so it is not about the quality of your call. It's not about verbalizing everything perfectly. It's about quantity. Um, and also, just a tip, I've heard that it's quite persuasive to specifically tell your state representatives that they will lose your vote in any upcoming elections and that you will organize against their re-election um, if they do not speak up in this moment. So, I don't know. Have fun with that information. Also, I want to put it out there that I would really love to do a focused plant person origin story episode featuring all pa Palestinian, Swana, or Middle Eastern identified medicine makers and magical guests. So if that's you or someone you know and you would like to come on the show and share your story in whatever format feels good to you, please contact me. Um, you can fill out the guest inquiry form on my website, www.manateemedicinals.com. All right. Yeah. Um, sending everyone lots and lots of love. And please enjoy this conversation with musician and artist Kelly Francis Carrado. 
Kelly Francis Corrado is a singer, songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, teaching artist, and occasional visual artist, a quilt of memories and mysticism. Growing up in Chicago, Illinois, she would sneak out during school nights to see hip-hop shows and spend Sundays learning prayer rituals taught by her Czech grandmother. This set a unique musical foundation, leading her to pursue operatic voice, string arranging, beat making, and poetry giving voice to her spiritual beliefs. She has lived many lives before putting her heart in song. Social worker, student, tap dancer, wanderer, living in the Black Forest, London, and by the sea. These patches of experience bring together a musical broth of magical realism and urban life, ripe with lucid dreams and superstition. Let's welcome Kelly Francis Corrado to the Rise Up Good Witch podcast. Hello, Kelly. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being here. I'm really excited to, to get into this and talk with you today about your work. Um, so that was a little bit of a bio background about you. But yeah, for folks who aren't familiar with your work, um, do you want to give us any more of an introduction of who you are or... Um, I always kind of break down what I would do really by four words. Like I'm a singer, songwriter, a wanderer, and a witch. And that's the foundation. And then everything else I do is just kind of an extension of that. So, mm -hmm. so yeah. yeah, I release, I do, I do musical releases. I do performances. I do teaching. So kind of a bunch of different things. Yeah, I you reached out um, earlier this year, and we've been doing a little back and forth. And I'm, I, it's so cool to organically um, meet musicians and to um, organically discover new music. Um, and just going through your Bandcamp and looking at um, all the different albums you've put out. Um, there's just such a cool breadth of it's really like your music is so dynamic and every album seems very different. Um, yeah, I think I'd like to start by um, yeah asking about how we'll put some of your music in this episode so that people can experience it. And we're not just, you know, academically talking about it on paper. Um, <laughs> I always feel a little weird talking about music or like writing about music because it's so much of this felt um, emotional thing. And especially your work, it's, it's so very emotional and kind of watery, I feel like. Um, so we can start by talking about like how are you making this music you i know you have some really unique and interesting sampling approaches um and yeah how how, how are you making this music and has has that sampling always been a part of your musical process well first of all thank you so much for the kind words i really appreciate it um you know i look at making music i look at it i'm really interested in the album because the album to me is a timeline or, or like a sonic scrapbook of songs that documents maybe an, an experience i'm going through that i'm processing music is really cathartic and it gives me the opportunity to process things in ways that i don't know how to process really in any other way um 
and I like, I really like and appreciate that you said watery because I, in my astrological like natal chart, I have no water. Mm. And when I had this done, I had like my chart done maybe like about five years ago. And it made so much sense to me because I was like, wow. So this explains like how I've lived in only watery climates. I love taking baths. I love swimming. Like I'm really attracted to water. And so I guess it's kind of seeped, lack for lack of a better word right now, seeped its way into my music. It's never really been intentional. It was kind of more like, oh, wow, I guess I'm doing this. But with each mm-hmm. album, I, I tr- I'd like it documents a specific time in my life. And then it also, I like to do artistic challenges for myself. So like, for example, my last album, Tough Feathers, I intentionally tried to be as minimal as possible in the creation of it, because I wanted, I wanted to know how to sing a song completely acapella. I wanted to have the vulnerability of my voice coming through Mm. to represent, yeah, to represent the music. That's really, that's really beautiful. And I think that's, it it is, you know, acapella is bold and (laughs) and it is, it is vulnerable. Um, And that, you know, and that comes through, remind me, is that, um, is that whole album acapella or? It is, no, no, it it is not, but it's definitely stripped down in the sense, like I, I use a lot of like ambient drones foundationally and maybe some like really simple auto harp or some really like minimal drums but the intention when I first created it was I wanted to be as like minimal with my voice as possible Mm. that was the focus and and the focus also was that album is about healing and it's also finding um I think a lot about in making art making art and music is such a healing tool and so I find so much strength in the vulnerability within it Mm. And it takes, you know, it takes, it takes some definite self-reflection and some shadow work and a lot of courage to be in that space. And it definitely is not easy, but I'm trying to kind of, as I get more experienced as an artist, I'm trying to take that step more and more to get clear with that, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, your approach to music, um, you do string arranging, auto harp, guitar, you write beats, you have samples on various keyboards, you're singing and using your voice as a tool with different layers, um, and using a lot of intuition in your practice. Um, yeah, I want to, well, first I want to ask about, can you talk a little bit about some of the field recordings you've done? Cause I think that's really interesting and cool. So, well, I've always kind of sampled things where I'll be like at a corner, um, at an intersection, a busy intersection, and I'll see someone sawing metal, which is like, it looks, I don't know if you've ever seen that before, like somebody with a chain. Yeah, it's beautiful because it has all these sparks, but the sound is like amazing. And I'll like jump out of the car and I used to record it with my phone. And then in 2020, I was, I received a grant to get a portable recording studio so now I kind of jump out and either I will have my computer with me or then I'll like break it down onto the computer. I try to use, it's more, it's really an intentional feel. It's not, I rarely go, you know, today I think I'm going to go record this. It's more like maybe I'll be in a physical space and I'll be like, oh, this is really interesting. Let's use this. Like I recently did some recordings um, 
there's a, I'm in the Pacific Northwest and there is a tunnel in Seattle connected to Judkins Park. And I think it's like maybe a mile or two miles long. And so I went in there and sang. And so I would like sing a, sing a song at one end of the tunnel and then have the recording and the microphone like a few feet ahead of me. But like the, the natural reverb of the space was like almost 12 seconds long. Wow. So I like to use acoustical spaces, but like I was saying, it's never like, it's, it's more like if I see something or something catches my attention and I'll, I'll feel like that's like a good fit. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like uh more spur of the moment. Right. Moment or if I'll be somewhere and I'll be like, oh, I need to come back here later to go do this. Cause I want to do that. Mm-hmm. And that included an, is it an abandoned nuclear? Oh, that's, that's, a whole, <laughs> that's, a whole, that's a whole other. Well, so currently working on right now. So I, I got access to um, another artist. I got access to some oscillators that were in, that came from a dismantled nuclear power plant. And so I've been sampling those because, Whoa. yeah, they're pretty amazing. I, can't even, I don't know if I can ask you to describe what that sounds like. <laughs> it's, it's actually, it's, you know, you know, it's like with creating music, there's this really wonderful, there's, it exists somewhere between like, it, it, I think creating music exists within liminal space. And so there's like, like I was just saying, like, you know, I'll be in a, like, maybe I was in this tunnel and I was like, oh, this sounds like really cool. And then maybe I'll just kind of log it in the back of my brain. And then later I'll go, oh, oh, this song really is interesting. It reminds me of being underwater. Oh, remember that tunnel? I need to go back there. So it's like, and the reason I'm bringing that up as an example is it's somewhere between like, as you're, I feel like as I'm creating, there's like the stuff I'm conscious of. And then the stuff that just comes to me through my guides and energy. So like in, in spirit. And so when I, the oscillators, it's, I don't even know how, like they sound, and I know I may be going on a big tangent, but I'm trying to yeah. give an example of the process, but the oscillators sound like synthesizers to some degree, but the ability to, uh, I've been, what I've been doing that recently is layering them with stringed instruments. So the texture is really unique. It gives a lot of echo and a lot of dissonance within it. And I'm, writing some songs using that right now that have to do with um healing the environment and sending out that kind of energy so that is just really fascinating and such a unique yeah just such a unique approach um it feels like tangible and intangible and liminal is definitely like a word that comes up listening to much of your music is like it feels like it's not really it definitely has pieces of different realms in it. It feels very otherworldly. Um, and it's not exactly like, yeah, sit down and sit down and jam out to this. It's like, <laughs> you need to do some like shadow work journaling and like cry it out. Um, <laughs> not, you know, not all of it, but some, you know, some of it. And um, so, you know, you mentioned some of your, um, guides um 
Okay, yeah. Who are who are some of your musical influences or guides or ancestors you might consider connected to your work? Um, I think we'll start with ancestors because I feel like that's really foundational and that's also part of my Romani heritage. And um, my grandmother um, on my dad's side, and I am a quarter Romani. Uh, amazing, wonderful woman um, is no longer with us, but really introduced me to magic. And you know we were really close and I didn't really, as a kid, I didn't really think about, I didn't really think about what she was teaching me until after she passed. And then it would kind of hit me like, Oh, okay. Okay. This is what she means. And it had a lot to do with, she practiced, um, there's this like form of Catholicism that's like within, within her own personal history that has a lot to do with feminism and the femininity and also identifying with saints and saints as maybe archetypes of people doing, not necessarily like as deities, but just showing, for lack of a better phrase, like saints as an example of normal people, not normal, but not like a deity per se, but like normal people doing extraordinary things. Mm. And and when she introduced me to that thinking and how she would have a list of all these saints and she'd say, okay, so in the family, I want you to pray for this certain person for this particular thing. And she would like take me through this list and I would always be like, all right, whatever, grandma. But she would do it. She did it for years. Wow. And then the the week before she passed away and she passed away at 96, I got them all in the mail. And at the time, like I got this packet of all these little prayer things that she had been working me through for years. And I was like in my early twenties, mid twenties, 24. And I was like, okay, like how, first of all, like, <laughs> what do I do with this? <laughs> already passed at that time. It was like, wow. So she knew when she, she went to sleep and didn't wake up, died very peacefully. And my father um, was like the, the person in charge of her estate. And when I talked to him, he had no idea. Like, so she sent them off. So she knew. So I, I think that really hit me right away. And so I started to kind of look at what that meant. And she also said that she was passing on the family ancestry, like the energy to me as an offering. And I was like, wow. And then she told me when it was my time that I was going to pass it on to someone else in our family. And I was going to know who that is. So, so that's, that's my foundation. So starting with that, and then I spent many years trying to just like figure out like how exactly I was going to do that because I don't necessarily personally connect with Catholicism. And so it took a lot of meditation. It took a lot of work and just thinking about what that was going to be. And during that time, like I didn't become a musician until like my late twenties. So I, and I started to notice as I was creating music, what a spiritual experience that was, that process was. And so I started going, okay, so if my grandma's giving me, you know, this is my foundation and this is what I'm doing. I started to try and fuse various ideas together or fuse various um, deities or spirits together on that. Like, how was that going to work for me? And so over the years and where I've come out of that now, many years later, like I identify and connect with very much like various archangels. And um more recently, Hecate has entered my life. So, so yeah. Thanks so much for sharing that family history with us. Um, Absolutely. That's really beautiful. And yeah, your grandma sounds like an amazing woman. 
Truly. <laughs> how how Truly. lucky to get to have that connection Truly. and relationship yeah. with her. Um, both of my, most of my grandparents um, passed before I was born. Um, and I'm always so inspired um, and envious of, of folks who got to have um, special connections with their grandparents growing up. Um, especially, you know, I was not steeped in much spirituality at all growing up. Um, and the Catholic, uh, Catholicism is a bit of a mystery to me, um, but I, I uh, am loosely familiar with, yeah, that sort of realm of um, Catholic, uh, not mysticism, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I think it might be mysticism. Mysticism, yeah. I think, I think so. I th there's definitely like a ritualistic, a ritualistic practice within it and a lot of it as i get older and learn more about hermeticism a lot of it has a lot of crossover with it as well i've noticed really so, yeah mm -hmm. especially like with angelic like working with various angelic entities so mm. how how was that experience for you building kind of rebuilding that connection or relationship with on the outskirts of Catholicism, I guess, or. <laughs> well, it's, it's been, it's been a journey. I mean, because I, I had to really look at, and I continue to look at like one, like, what do I believe in? And like, what do I really connect with at my core and what honors also my ancestry, but also like, doesn't take on any like thing that I very much don't believe in. Right. And Catholicism and Christianity is steeped in a lot of not, great stuff for lack of a better i mean it's like mm -hmm. well, that we can that's a really that can go very dark very fast yeah but i wanted to, but i wanted to honor my grandmother's teachings and i wanted to uh honor her spirit with it because it was very much from a matriarchal place and a place of compassion and love well then having a whole it sounds very rooted in protection magic very, like that's what i'm very I'm, much so. what i'm hearing is that um there's literally like a protection list and that sounds very loving and like you know we kind of just making you aware of it didn't sound like there was like a necessarily a threatening aspect which is what i'm used to hearing about catholicism and christianity is like that there's this threat of like uh, thing the practices are like kind of guide and the rituals many rituals are kind of have this foundation of do this or else um yeah. right and i i know you know it's funny years later people were like oh so how do you deal with the brimstone and fire aspect and i was like what are you talking about like that was never introduced to me like i didn't know anything about that aspect of it at all i feel like i had a very unique experience with it because it was so subjective through my grandmother and through her lineage mm. so did you not grow up going to church or I did, but they, I never heard about like being, it never was like this, be afraid of the devil, the devil's coming or else, or Satan is coming, or you will go to brimstone, you know, brimstone and fire. Yeah. So yeah, like I said, the more reflected on my past, I've noticed that it's a pretty unique take on it. It really is. I, yeah, I, I, know, I, I never, is, I never hear about that or about anybody. Strange. It's rare to meet a, a good majority of my friends for whatever reason. People who I'm close with in my life are like, you know, reformed 
ex or ex Catholics or, um, right. you know, who are spending their lives healing from the, including my partner is like, <laughs> you know, healing from, you know, what Catholicism and what religion, um, did to them. Um, and it, it's not without asking you to get into that aspect too much. It doesn't necessarily sound like you had that experience. It's more like, uh, I don't necessarily relate with this, but I'm not like healing from years of, <laughs> of pain with it necessarily. Right. And let me be clear. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not a Christian at all. And my experience with this was directly related from my grandma and just her lineage and her intention behind what, and just her showing me about the intention of focus and of love and compassion. Like, mm. yeah. That's so beautiful. I'm, oh. I'm really great. Yeah. I'm really grateful that she showed me like if, if your heart is in a particular place and ritual, like, yeah, how you can really do things with that. Well, for that's really special to get to have, because even if people do have like positive relationships with elders and, and ancestors and grandparents and their families, like even if there are rituals and traditions, they might not get, it's, uh, they might not get passed down to you or they might not have the like language or the um, motivation or the time or whatever to be like, to hand you this thing and be like, Hey, it's important that you do this for this reason. Or um, so yeah. How, how special to get to have that and move through life with it. I'm yeah. I'm 100% I'm grateful for that. It was really, I'm really grateful for that. Also, um, you were talking a bit about um, your influence with the elements and the climate that you live or travel to in regards to like water. Um, you said you've been exploring the desert in recent years. In, in recent years, I've been really called to the desert. And so in the, in the Pacific Northwest, it, the winters here are so dark and they're yeah. so wet and they're yeah. so feral. So I've been called. So my partner and I went on a trip to Joshua Tree, also with my brother, which was really wonderful, and just hiking around. And then we also recently went to New Mexico as well this past spring. To I'd never been to that part. I've never been to the desert prior to that. So it's it's definitely been calling and, and being it. It'll continue to call. It's such an. It's also really nice in the in the kind of dead of winter to go and do that because it's the opposite. So it's it's definitely an interesting time to recharge or a good time to recharge. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's really interesting. Same for me. Well, I actually have I have almost no fire in my chart. Um, oh, so interesting. A lot of a lot of earth and like some water and air, but I have very little fire. Probably possibly the least fire in my chart. Um, so. I feel really drawn to 
and always have, um, but especially since spending many, many years living here in the Pacific Northwest and enduring the very wet, gray winters, um, I also feel very called to, yeah. to the desert. And um, same here, I really have not gotten to explore the desert much at all. And in the past few years, I've been feeling really called to possibly move to New Mexico. Um, but have I you been there before? No, no, I haven't. But I feel it's this like pull of like, hey, huh? go check out Albuquerque. <laughs> um, I think it's you know partially because I have I have friends who have moved from here to there, and it seems very appealing to me. It is. It's it's really interesting. It is definitely a whole other way of life, and the art there. There's art everywhere. They just the, there's like community of art like thriving. It, yeah, it's just it's pretty incredible. Just the, yeah, the, lands, the landscape and the colors and the gentrification here is so intense. Um, oh my God, I know. And everything like these beautiful, colorful buildings that I used to love have literally been whitewashed and like painted over with like everything is just sort of becoming be beige and gray. And yeah, it's easy to feel drawn to more colorful <laughs> envir environs. Um, Absolutely. With that happening in the background. Absolutely. So um, touring has been a pretty big part of your life. You were saying you've been touring actively as a musician since 2017. Um, and you generally try to tour a few months out of the year. Um, but yeah, this year has been, this past year has been a little different for you. I love, yeah, touring is something that definitely feeds my spirit. But coming into this year, so actually starting in 2022 in November, I kept having a reoccurring dream and I, and I have a very lucid dream life and I have never, I rarely have reoccurring dreams. And I had this reoccurring dream, literally spirit was coming to me and like, Hey, you need to work on this music. You need to finish this music. Like, and I had had an album like loosely coming together, but I was touring. And so when you're touring, it's, it's not really the easiest time to be recording either. And so I was like, okay. And I kind of checked in after literally like this reoccurring dream of like missing a plane or missing Like, I was like, okay, spirit, I hear you. Like, I get it. Like, <laughs> and I sat with it and I was like, okay, I'm going to take a year off and I'm going to focus on various recording projects and I'm going to work on this. I'm going to work on a new album. I'm also, I started a newsletter called New Moons. Um, it's like a, a donation newsletter based subscription. And every month I write uh, a new musical track that's like a musical horoscope. So I started doing that and I did it as a way to connect, to stay connected with people not being on the road. Um, so I've, I've just been taking this year to really focus on recording and creating new music. I am super missing touring though. Like I, I'm already like kind of twitching from not really. I, I just, <laughs> I, I feel like I'm naturally nomadic. It just puts me I love, I love sharing music with people and feeling that energy exchange and seeing other artists and witnessing other people's music and just being amongst various communities, musical communities. I have a lot of uh, strong musical community out in the East Coast, so I'm just kind of, just kind of missing doing that. I'm looking, also thinking about exploring like Scotland and to, anyway, we could talk about touring for like a few hours. So yes, I yeah. love touring. <laughs> <laughs> and you miss it but it's you know it sounds like it's been good for you to also sit um, it has yeah definitely definitely so you teach um you have this beautiful new moons music subscription um which is a newsletter a donation-based newsletter um 
And then you also teach quote unquote more normal or like more standard music classes. And you've been doing that uh, music lessons. You've been doing that for a while, like one-on-ones. Absolutely. Like 16 years, like a really long time. Wow. Um, and you focus on guitar and piano and voice. If I, recall. I do right. Yes, you are correct. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there's that and then there's this also this new offering um called lessons in creativity that um you started offering this year um yeah tell us about that um I started well I have um I was working or I am currently working with a student a, a friend of mine uh named Chanel who is also a flower essence she's a, an experimental musician and a flower essence devotee and we were having this conversation and I've been teaching her piano. She got a piano and we started to get into conversation about things. And then she started because she's a friend, you know, and she knows me personally. She started kind of pointing out my approach with things like talking, like asking her to wear certain crystals when she's learning certain scales or face herself towards the window. Like I was starting to share more of um, more experimental practices and spiritual practices, which I do for myself all the time. And I do incorporate them with lessons, but I, I, in this particular setting, I felt a little freer because she's my friend and I know what, what the things that she likes and the things that help her. And so I started to meditate on it. And then I was like, wow, I wonder if other folks would be interested in me kind of approaching teaching a music lesson where not only are we going to learn how to do various Western theory or maybe a flamenco chord progression transition or something. But what if I incorporated like, let's do a moon map with the times that you find that you create. So I started to tailor these classes. It's a different kind of um, music class where it's not so much like teacher students. It's more about I'm encouraging people and guiding people to explore intentionality with their in, with their own creativity through a personal musical practice to either start one or to explore a current one more deeper so and it's been really fun and i started it a couple of months ago and it's it's really taken off and i've really been enjoying it and i do the two offerings that i have with it is one is a more concentrated one which is uh tailored for someone who has a, already a musical practice but wants either like a reset with it or wants to explore some different choices with their creativity, musically speaking, or one that's more uh, meets on a weekly basis. Hmm. So that is really rad and and so necessary. Um, I think I don't know. I've been in a. I've, I'm really. I would love to set up. <laughs> A lesson with you um and do some work together because yeah i've Let's had a big, yeah. a big block around um music and creating music and collaborating with other people with music and just collaborating with other people creatively in general i've had some pretty big blocks for a long time and it's really when you're a creative person and when you have a need to <laughs> your body when your body needs to output but there's not a channel for it or those channels are blocked it's searingly painful it sucks it's not just annoying it's like spiritually agonizing um and to have somebody who's like not a formal you know <laughs> a formal therapist but somebody with you know 16 plus years of experience guiding people already um through just the act of connecting with music 
um, to do that with a degree of like loving and compassionate and non preachy, non, you know, kind of anti hierarchical. I mean, that is, that is so unique. Thank you. My, you know, music is such an empowering and beautiful thing. And my intentionality is just kind of really to help others help themselves. Maybe that that's my goal with it. And yeah. And I know that feeling of like, Oh, it can feel frustrating. It's like, it's this bubbling up and you're like, Oh, I want to say this, but I'm not sure how to say this. And like, uh, it can be, it can be frustrating for sure. And so it ha I have found certain spiritual practices as my, um, as I've been exploring music for so many years, certain practices like moon mapping or visualization or listening exercises, even something simple just by going outside every morning really makes a huge difference and mm. can make you reset and relook at how you interact with creativity. Yeah. And I, I think sometimes it, um, being encouraged and you also use things like tarot and meditations, visualizations, in addition to like Western theory or sight reading, absolutely, ear absolutely. training, that kind of thing. I think sometimes, um, when you're a creative person you're naturally anti-authoritarian or like anti you know the second somebody tells me to do something I'm like fuck you um. <laughs> well, but, right. especially especially with music too because music is such a empowering thing so it's like yeah so like it's easy to yeah to have a but to have like a not <laughs> I feel like I'm way more um apt to try something new like hey <laughs> go for a walk in the forest by yourself for 20 minutes or yeah, i'm or um starting meditation practices i'm i feel like i'm way more likely to do something like that if i'm being guided and like coached by a peer or like by a cool musician as opposed to like a doctor telling me to do <laughs> or um I yeah that's just just thinking about myself um I'm sure that all that to say like your students are are lucky to have that um and to be guided um by such a wise and compassionate guide oh that's very kind you know I always feel like a lot of the things that I've learned in life like sometimes I don't know if you have this experience sometimes I'll feel like I'm so far in my own stuff that it'll take like a friend or someone else to point out and be like, oh, you know that you do this, right? And I'm like, oh yeah, I guess I do, huh? Like this could actually, like Chanel was a real, ins ins my friend Chanel was a real inspiration for, she's like, you know, you already do all these things and you have for years, I've known you. And I was like, oh yeah, right. Okay, this could help people. Awesome, okay, I enjoy this. Yeah, and it was like, you didn't have to like agonize about it or hem and haw for months. You were just like, huh. You were telling me before that it was a very quick decision of like, oh, yeah, why don't I just start offering that? <laughs> I know, because it's like, you know, it's like if you already do, I'm like, I already kind of do this and it sounds really fun. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. What a what a cool dynamic offering. Um, and we'll put links to the show notes in all this for all of this. Um so what do your personal self-care and ritual practices look like kind of in regards to um, making, you know, somebody who does these different things, works with different age ranges and different types of people? Um, 
and making your own music. I know often um, with music, it's really easy to get pulled into making music and then you look up and five hours have passed. Um, what are your, what are some of yeah your practices in regards to your energy or your boundaries as as both a performer and a teacher? I think I have the opposite problem because I'm a Taurus. So like I immediately get into the business. I am like, oh yeah, there's four hours of this. Then like, oh, like all I really wanted to do today was play this song on the auto harp that I'm working on outside by that tree. And I'll be like, fuck, you know, like I really should have scheduled my time better. So one of the things that I've been really working on specifically actually this year, and part of me taking off time from touring is learning how to structure my time efficiently, like every day, like from the meditation to going for a walk at a specific time. And I actually feel a lot of comfort within structure. I mean, but at the same time, it's like, I'm not obsessive about it. Like I do have, I'll be like, okay, on these certain days, like if I want to be in my pajamas, you know, and like watching Sabrina, the witch for like three hours, like, and having hot chocolate, like, sure. Like I can, you know what I mean? Like there's mm-hmm. still, I still have room for that. I'm not like super obsessive, but for the most part, but for most of the time during the week, I like to have a certain amount of time for meditation and ritual. And then a certain amount of time for creativity. And then, um, and then teaching. So trying to balance everything out and trying to only, yeah, to really structure myself. So I don't get caught up in the business because, you know, I am, I do work for myself and I do have, I do have help, but it definitely, I find that I have to create those, those lines. Mm-hmm. Has that changed for you over time? Yeah, it absolutely has. Like, in the beginning, when I first started this and I was like doing and it started to become a full-time situation, I was like, okay, first of all, like I'm making my income from various different places and I'm doing like, I had to really, it started off as like, okay, I'm going to keep the business over here and the creativity over here. And then that started to get a little confusing. And I wasn't, because it's, you know, being an artist, like in the West, in this, in this country and, and Western culture is like, and it's not like, you know, <laughs> I mean, like, you know, I can just pause with that. Like it's a lot. And to manage that, you have to do many things to, to make money. Um, and so I, over the years, what I've, I've learned how to do is I, for myself, I've learned to, I have an assistant who helps me just stay organized because being organized, um, with my information is not my strong suit and she's a wizard at it. So I'm really grateful that she's, she's been helping me. And then, um, I have found intuition is really like the older I get, the intuition is really everything I make. I make decisions now business-wise based on intuition. And in, and in the past, I wouldn't have done that, even though I'm such a strong believer, even though back then I was even such a strong believer in intuition I viewed business as this very capitalistic like you do you know to get from point a to point b you've got to do this but making art doesn't and communicating and connecting and sharing with others doesn't work like that like at all yeah and that's not the foundation of what it is anyway so that started to feel dis you know like disingenuous so I changed it up and now I do things like sometimes I'll be like okay I'm gonna do this like this is what my intuition says so we're just going to kind of roll with that and we're just going to do it so and that's been going well <laughs> it's it's growing I mean it's a continued you know it's a continued learning process but I, I think it's important to I do a lot of self-reflection and 
it's important to know like, oh, okay, so I know how to do this really well, but I really don't know how to do this well at all. So, it, and it's good to ask for help in those areas and have that support, but it's like, you know, it, it's mm-hmm. a, it's a growing process. Yeah. I think it's so, it's so stressful for creatives because we kind of live in the, these systems and these structures that force us to compartmentalize ourselves. And then a lot of us spend our entire adult lives or good sections of those adult lives, like um, disentangling ourselves from that narrative of like being everything you do has to be put in a box or like, right. Um, yeah. Like you said, trying to, rope off your creativity and be like i'll just it's, it's like doing it with your emotions it doesn't make any fucking sense it makes, <laughs> no, sense. It makes no sense um and uh you can't just you can't just kind of try to cram it in all these little boxes in the closet forever because it won't it won't go well um and then you'll wonder why you feel insane <laughs> and why your life is a mess um, I, like it'll it'll get all jumbly and then you'll be like but it's also really important that i you know can pay my rent and have some food and and, and do those things yeah it's definitely a, a juggle and a continual learning curve yeah especially living in very expensive cities seattle's somehow more expensive than portland i think or at least it used to be <laughs> oh, it is. In fact, I have found over the years of touring that Seattle is like, I'll go on tour and I, I like to eat really well. I like to have clean food, like organic food. And I'll literally, I'll go on tour and I'll be like, wow, I think I just spent only like $150 on groceries for three weeks. That's weird. And I'll come home and it'll be like triple that. Yeah, Seattle's a, <laughs> Seattle's a wickedly expensive city. It has a lot of the, I mean, to Seattle's benefit, it has a lot of really um, great opportunities for artists. And it's more, I feel like in the sense of like, there's a lot of, there's artist housing here, there is grants. So it's, I think if you can kind of find a niche, I think if you find a niche anywhere in the world, you know, you can make it work. But yeah, Seattle is definitely a very expensive city. I find it more expensive than New York and San Francisco for that matter. But really? Oh yeah, absolutely. Wow. Food-wise, 100%. Hey there, it's me again. No matter where you live, the seasons are changing. And for us in the Northern Hemisphere, it's cold and flu season, not to mention the added stressors of, I don't know, you know, climate change, COVID, and the imminent arrival of the biggest scourge of all, the holiday season. If you're tired of spending money at corporate pharmacies on over-the-counter remedies that may or may not work and they may not may or may not be full of chemical dyes or fillers or crustacean parts for some reason or other questionable ingredients uh, let me tell you about manatee medicinals my small batch herbal medicine business that i've been running here in portland since 2018. i offer high quality small batch herbal products sliding scale herbal peer support sessions available soon on my website, and community education for adults and children for age 14 and over. My primary focus is on uplifting BIPOC community members, decolonizing herbal medicine, and making self-care accessible via affordable herbal medicine tools. If you're looking for support with sleep, stress, aches and pains, immune support, allergies, or spiritual support for trauma recovery and more, Now's a great time of year to add some handcrafted herbal allies to your seasonal toolkit. 
Some new products were just added to the shop this week. I'm really excited about it, including St. John's Word Tincture, Nettles Tincture, Don't Cramp My Style Tincture, which is a formula that I'm very proud of. Um, it's amazing for PMS, PMDD, and general menstrual cycle and mood support. Um, also, Herbal Facial Toner, um, which is a crab favorite that I love, use it every day myself, and Healing Skin Nectar CBD Massage Oil. We also have Pain Zap Sev, which is my number one selling product, an amazing pain relief tool for acute pains like injury or surgery recovery. It's also great for scar, um, scar care after things like top or hip surgery um, or chronic pains like fibromyalgia, arthritis, or other musculoskeletal issues. Go check out my apothecary page at manateemedicinals.com slash shop linked in the show notes. Some of these goodies are already on sale actually, but don't forget if you join the Patreon, if you are already a patron, patrons get an additional 20% off of anything in the shop with the special patron only code entered at checkout. Now back to the show. Uh, it's expensive yeah. to live everywhere right now. How, um, and Seattle is a pretty big music city as well. It is. It's, you know, it is a really the the nice one of the things I really love about Seattle as a music city is that because it is small and I have actually um found it to be more interconnected as well like it's very I have found it really easy like say I want to connect with a particular producer I'll realize that I'm actually only like maybe one or two people away from that producer because Seattle is, has so many musicians here and so many engineers and producers. So it's like, a, it's a really nice web to reach out into. And that's, that's actually musically my favorite thing about Seattle is that it's that interconnected with people. Hmm. So that's kind of how you've, how have you located yourself in that? <laughs> um. Um, well, I've just, it's more like I discovered it than it was just more a matter of like, oh, I'm really interested. Like, I'll have an idea. I'll be like, oh, it'd be really cool to work with this drummer. I wonder if I could sample them. And then I'll think about like, well, who do I know that knows this drummer? And then I'll be like, oh, dang, this person and this person. Or I'll talk to a friend of mine and they're like, don't you know this person who knows them? Like, I'll find, like, it's been more of a self discovery thing, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's good. I'm glad you feel like you have community there. I think that was more the question I was thinking is like in such a sea of musicians and oh, artists, okay. like how do you, um, or have you been able to, if you have been able to like, yeah, create and find community um, in such a, you know, in a, a major city? Um, I feel, okay. So looking at it, so I, I look at it, I don't know necessarily, the thing is, is I don't necessarily know if I look at that as community as much as resource or I guess it is community resource but when I think about musical community I've actually found that I have had to go out more in the world like the east coast or the midwest or even in parts of Canada to connect with other like-minded artists and I tend to find more community out there but I live the where I live is just I have a beautiful little house where I live with my partner and we have a musical space and then our neighbors are really good friends so I have like a, a niche here and I like having personally like I need very much to have my musical space in my house because my dream life really connects to that I 
it's I need to kind of be able to wake up in the middle of the night and go play if I need to go do that. Mm-hmm. So it's like I hide out here and then I go out into the world, if that makes sense. And my community yeah. is kind of more spread out. That makes a lot of sense. And when we spoke before, um, we were taught, you were telling me, and we were talking about our experiences in like different DIY sort of music communities. And I remember you saying that about like, you've been able to connect in deeper with music communities, like in the Midwest and on the East coast. And I identify with that a lot. Um, just because I grew up, um, going to a lot of basement shows and backyard shows and punk shows and like um both in my hometown and like you know just traveling around and music was this huge really powerful connective force and with age and with living on the west coast it just feels there's i'm sure there's many factors involved in like why it feels different and why i feel more disconnected from that realm now um and i also feel like a little spoiled because there's like there's so much music that comes through here um and i'm not really going to like indoor shows right now but (laughs) but but there is all that to say like there is i feel like there's a pretty palpable difference in you know quote unquote diy and like indie music communities between yeah between the coasts and yeah absolutely i I think that there's like a I've noticed something that's unique out here that I haven't seen in other places. And I was actually having a conversation with Lori Goldston, who's like, who's a bit older than me and has been a musician a lot longer than me and is from Seattle. She's a cellist and she's done all kinds of stuff and played with all kinds of people. And we got into this interesting conversation about how Seattle is really musically genre segregated. I don't have a lot of experience like in, in Portland per se, or kind of outside this. So I, I can't really speak to it, but what I'm no, but listening to what from what you're saying, I think maybe it might reach over into those areas as well. Like I, there's something about there's like a, I don't know what it is. It, like it's there's music. It's musically segregated in the sense of genre. So it'll be like okay, so if you're gonna go and see this style of music, it's very much here and like it doesn't really have a lot of crossover. In in even in the DIY communities out here, I have found that as well. Though I, I'm sure that that's probably always changing. And so, and I find that that's really unique to out here. Like, as opposed to other shows that I've participated in, in other places and other parts of the, uh, the United States, there tends to be more crossover genre-wise. And so and within that, I, I find that environment more inspirational myself. Well, yeah. Um, I think like... I don't know, often my experience with people here or people who are from California or Oregon, it's like, if you're into metal, you're into metal and that's it. And you're into one of these, <laughs> you're into these eight different <laughs> genres, subgenres of metal. Um, and gosh, I am just, I'm just not that way at all. I just listen to like all sorts of things. Um, yeah, likewise, all the time. And right. I'm always, um, I don't know, that just, it seems like a dead end to me. <laughs> it's only listening to one kind of music. And it's easy. It, that's being said, it's like easy to get uh, into a rut or to kind of like be in your enclave if that's where you're at socially. And like, right. 
then that's your community um and that's where you feel most comfortable i get it but it it also and it also is often very racially segregated as well um and same thing where there's like <laughs> these bills <laughs> even if they're kind of different kinds of music on the same bill is it going to be all white people um and yeah i definitely noticed that fairly consistently um when i do when i do dip back into going to live shows and stuff here how do you connect into new music um in this kind of current world of like streaming and limitless void style entertainment <laughs> um, and and also in like who are you who or what are you listening to these days um i like to connect i have very specific like radio shows that i like to listen to um i like to listen to the wire magazine's adventures in sound i always find the playlists are really cool there's also a, a show I like to listen to regularly. It's a weekly show called Golden Apples of the Sun. And you can stream it. I, I think I stream it like on an Australian radio station. I think it might even be like an Australian, yeah, Australian group of folks. But it's a collective of people and they've been doing it for years. But it tends to be more kind of down tempo and folk style music. But it's stuff from all kinds of eras. And it's really lovely and inspirational to listen to. I listen to that pretty regularly. Um, the radio station Resonance FM has a lot of really cool shows. Um, and Friends and Bandcamps. I just started to listen to Bandcamp, some of Bandcamp's uh, radio shows as well. They're such a great resource. I always like, they have so many layers that I'm always feeling like I'm learning more about Bandcamp. So. Um, and the music that I'm listening to, I tend to, I have strong leanings with, I love getting into albums. And I also, there's a few uh, record labels that I follow just because I like their curation a lot. I've been, um, because I've been really in the last few years uh, delving deep into learning how to engineer music and produce music. I've been looking at various producers and recently Richard Swift. I've been looking really deep into how he produces music and his uniqueness. So that's led me to a couple of Damien Gerardo albums, which I've been, I've had like on repeat for like the last month or so, yeah. which is, yeah, Brothers and Sisters of the Eternal Sun and, and Maricopa. Yeah. So those, I've, those, and it's the, I mean, Damien writes such beautiful, minimal songs, but the production on them is really amazing, really beautiful. And then um, there's another, there's a record label, an Irish one that I just found out about called Court Evil Fruit which is really interesting. And I think you might like, it has a lot of, it has field recordings, but arranging there's a, yeah. So they're kind of a newer discovery. Mm -hmm. So that's what I've been recently listening to. Good recommendations. Yeah. I want to check those all out. Um, what genre is Richard Swift? I'm, I'm unfamiliar with him. He's, and he's actually, I think he was from, Eugene, he there's a there the recording, excuse me, the recording studio where he did those two albums for Damien Gerardo is actually somewhere in Oregon, and I can't think of maybe Cottage Grove. Anyway, um, you asked me where he was from, right? Or or just like what his uh, what his genre? Oh, I'm was sorry. For. He tends to be. It's like it's very '60s style. So think of like how Dusty Springfield's music is. Mm -hmm. And not, but like in the sense of like tonality. So like tones are really smooth, but strong and clear. 
but it's not like stripped down acoustic music, if that makes sense. Or like how the Shangri like the Shangri Laws, how they have this beautiful warmth sound, but there's a lot of minimalism going on as well within their music. It's not really complex. As far as like the instrumentation itself, it's more the complexity is more about in the arranging. So hmm. interesting. So you, so he has, have- I guess oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say, so maybe he has more 60s leanings. He is no longer, he passed away a couple of years ago, so he is no longer with us, but. Oh, okay. Um, this is a kind of going back to putting ourselves in boxes, but has there ever been a genre that you identify with? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've always saw myself really as an ex- probably experimental singer-songwriter. Mm-hmm. that would probably be the genre i mean i think i kind of float into some other ones like i've just learned about music concrete in the last in the last couple of years so i think maybe i kind of float in there or witch house or i mean i love trip hop i've always loved i mean who doesn't trip hop's pretty amazing mm-hmm. so probably yeah. an ex probably experimental singer songwriter yeah that, that tracks that makes sense <laughs> yeah that, that makes sense for me <laughs> i was not like i don't need... think it's that far out yeah <laughs> not that you need my approval but that that makes sense for me <laughs> well i wanted to talk a little bit about this is kind of a special interest rodeo corner um i wanted to talk a little bit about bjork because um this came up in our conversation before um and uh I don't know if it's tacky or counterintuitive to tell people to listen to other podcasts in the middle of my podcast, but the Bjork came out with this podcast um, last year or maybe the year before um, called Sonic Symbolism. And it's all about her. It's her being interviewed by her collaborators and friends and her people who have helped, who have like produced her albums. And it's basically each episode is an hour long and it takes you uh, album by album through her entire like life's work basically um and i've been obsessed with this show i haven't finished it yet um but it's a really good show to listen to before bed i feel i feel like um and it also it's very i wasn't expecting it to be so emotional for me but i even the albums of hers that i hadn't listened to before they all make me cry Um, So it's her going through and kind of pulling apart um, kind of song by song, album by album, song by song, and talking about where, kind of locating herself in, this is where I was in my life. This is what this particular song was about. This is, this is the tone of the album. And she also lists the elements and colors and um kind of like you know she'll be like orange toxic masculinity (laughs) silver (laughs) um she'll kind of list like all of her associations that she has that were her um you know kind of influences or what the foundation for each thing and um we both have we have a shared love of Bjork that we discovered, but yeah, this uh, what really struck me um, as you were telling me about as I was reading about reading your liner notes and reading um, 
you know, and listening to each one of your albums, it really struck me the similarities of like kind of these archetypes that come up for, for different albums or these themes, um, especially how this is something I didn't know before, but it makes a lot of sense. Um, Bjork kind of like designs her album covers, each one as like her own tarot card. Which, yeah. <laughs> right. I'm just quiet here because I'm like, we can just be like, she's amazing. Yeah. Incredible. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. And I'm so looking forward to listening to that podcast. I had told you had mentioned it and then I forgot about it. And I'm so glad that you reminded me of it because it sounds absolutely fascinating. You know, she is such a unique, incredible, amazing artist. And just like the fact that she does that with each one of her albums, of course she does. Do you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like the fact that she resonates with various colors is really amazing. And I wonder if she has some kind of, I never say this word right, synesthesia in relation to sound that connects. Does she mention, does she mention anything about that in the podcast? Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. I was going to yeah. say, cause that would just make a lot of sense. I mean, I find her relatable and like, I have some synesthesia with smell when I make music, which I can't really explain other than like, I, when I'm creating a body of work, I really crave a particular smell. And sometimes it's really easy to find. And sometimes it's not like, sometimes it takes me a minute to kind of figure out what it is. Like for the last for tough feathers, I was really like, it was like a citrusy, but kind of frankincense smell. And um, my friend, Jonathan, does a natural body care line uh, that's called Deschampse. And he was making this, he made this smell and I, I'm so glad I found it. It's like a light green frankincense. And I would just like wear it constantly during the creation. And I can't really give any other explanation other than just like this, this craving for it. So, mm. yeah. So I, I definitely can relate to, to Bjork in that sense. Oh, that podcast sounds fascinating. You know, the more I learn about her, like how she does some of her business stuff, like I listened to an interview with Hepa Kedri, who masters her music. I don't know if she's come up in the podcast at all. I think so. She's talked, I, I think I listened to her on Tape Ops podcast, an interview about, they were asking her what it was like to work with Bjork. And she said that, because Bjork is a DIY artist, like nobody puts out her music but her. Like she does everything on her own, which is, and her shows are like these production, production shows. It's like a huge, that's a lot. I mean, that's a lot of work. And Hepa Kedri was talking about how Bjork is like a master collaborator. Like people love to work with her because she's not hierarchical, hierarchical at all, that she's very much one-on-one -on -one with people. She trusts people's visions. She brings people in. She connects. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. And she, um, that really comes up in these conversations, these like loving conversations that she has with her friends and oh, her cool. producers and collaborators. Um, but for me, I like, I'm a very, I have a very, over analytical brain and um music is like this rare thing in my life where it, i'm always led by emotion with it um and so with with bjork like i grew up um 
you know, taking CDs out from the library and burning them. And like, that's how I, part of how I would find new music, or I would just play a random roulette of like iTunes radio and be listening to like some Bulgarian, (laughs) you know, like I just, I I really, um, uh, but yeah, I would, I would, uh, I became really struck by her music and by her artistry and by her album art and the intentionality of what she was doing. And I also didn't know what any of it was about. And for me, that was unique because most artists, I would like go to the store and buy the CD and then I'd like pour over the liner notes and be like, I want to know what every single one of these songs means, which sometimes like destroys, you know, um, <laughs> sometimes uh you know sometimes knowing every last detail about a song or something can kind of ruin it or like there's like a fine line with it you know what i mean like sometimes i find it really inspiring too like oh that was this or that was that that's cool like seeing where it comes from foundationally yeah and that's exactly it is a fine line and that's what i mean about this podcast is it's so cool to hear um i think bjork is like definitely and she talks a lot about um her experiences with the media and the paparazzi and people just really bringing the shit out of her in the 90s um she was kind of she was really quite victimized um by uh and parodied a lot um in american pop culture (laughs) like um but yeah people sort of i think uh what's the word i think she got sort of mocked or like people thought she was pretentious people put a lot of shit on her is what i'm saying and so to hear her sure speak about her work in her own words is powerful oh i bet and you know it's it's also you were making me think of so i'm part of this network called the female pressure network which is an international uh network of um non-binary and female identifying electronic artists and what's really interesting is when i first joined them I don't know, this is probably like eight years ago when I first joined them. Um, They were in the middle, a couple of artists had gotten together because Bjork had just put out an article about how people continually uh, were questioning if she made her own music, if she actually Mm -hmm. created her own music. Yes. And so Female Pressure, as as a group of folks, got together and started this thing called Visibility, where they asked anyone within the Female Pressure Network to send in a picture of them, just a simple picture of them next to their musical gear working. Like even if it was just a laptop with your headphones or if you were like on a keyboard and they actually did an exhibit. I think it was in Berlin, like a visual exhibit of people of female identifying and non-binary folks from the Female Pressure Network to represent what Bjork was saying. Like, hey, yeah, so like we are out here, we are making music, like you're automatic because they would question her i guess in the interview she talked about how she would get asked that question all the time like who wrote her music and she was like well what do you mean who writes my music i write my music like these like arcas helped me or so and so has helped me but like i like it kind of miffed her and so yeah oh yeah and she and she gets very much into that in the podcast as well because to this day people even even journalists who should absolutely know better people to this day will list a co-producer of hers like name before hers or will say so and so produced this song of bjork's or like 
you know, they'll be more in the headline than her or people. Yeah. People, she like still gets asked these questions and it's like, she's in her fifties. Like she's been doing this for, she's been doing this work. She's been, wow. in, she's literally yeah. been making her own music since she was like eight or nine years old. Um, and since she started with the band, even before the sugar cubes, um, right. uh, is she really gracious about it? Or is she like telling people to fuck off at this point? Because I don't know. I don't know. Um, I don't know about the more recent ones, but hearing her talk about her earlier albums, um, people are so weird and xenophobic and like xenophobic and sexist um, <laughs> about her presence in the United States. Um, and then to a lesser extent in the UK when she lived there. Um, it's yeah, it's just astounding how somebody who makes such incredible art work and has for decades, um, just being a woman is still up against, like, despite fame and, you know, <laughs> degree of right. you know, fame and fortune and being so iconic, um, still, still up against sexism in the music industry. <laughs> yeah, That's, that is unfortunate and true and unsurprising, unfortunately. Yeah. You know, people, if, I feel like sometimes if people can't categorize that people or put them in a box, yeah, then it, then it becomes more, yeah, challenging. Mm -hmm. Yuck. That's unfortunate. I mean, she's such a unique, a unique artist and incredible artist, like homogenic. The first time I actually saw her was on SNL and I was a kid and I remember her going on and she was doing this i think she was doing like bachelorette from homogenic which is like if I, I if i was to do one of those things like top most 10 most top influential albums i think that might be one of them because she stood there on at snl and it was just like a string section behind her and this simple dress that she kept dropping and picking up and she was like singing operatically like with the string section and it was the simplicity and the creativity and the originality, like at the time, this is way before I even knew I was a musician, like just blew my mind. Like that whole album is so powerful. So. Yeah, absolutely. I love, I love that album as well. And it's also very influential for me. We yeah, love Bjork. Amazing. We do. <laughs> we love Bjork. <laughs> the Bjork podcast. Yeah. The fan. Yeah. We can fangirl on that. Yeah. All day about Bjork. Um, well, this brings us to the end of our conversation. Thank you so much for being here and for sharing with us. Um, I'm excited for you to choose a song or two of yours to include in this episode. Um, you will have, we're going to have a special song from Kelly, a New Moon's music song from Kelly over on the Patreon for our Patreon patrons. Um, and later later this month later in october when this episode comes out um where kelly where can people find you um first of all thank you so much for having me um it's been a real joy to get to know you better and just to talk more in depth um people can find me at my website which is kellyfrancescarado.com and or you can find me at bandcamp at kellyfrancescarado com. I'm on the socials, but I, I tend to prefer those realms a little bit more. So, mm -hmm. um, and then people can uh, sign up on your website for your. Oh, absolutely. I was just going to say there's also we, we talked about it a little bit earlier um, today. I have uh, a newsletter called Under the Fig Tree and I have it comes out every month. And part of it has 
New Moon's Music, which is, uh, I create a new song every new moon and it's sent to your inbox. It's donation-based, free to sign up. And it is on my website. So lovely. Uh, yeah, and we'll have links to all that. Um, and then people can buy your music on your band camp. Where's yes. the best place? Where's the best place for people to give you money for music? <laughs> <laughs> Bandcamp is most appreciated. Okay, awesome. Cool. Well, yeah, go, you, you, you heard it from her. <laughs> go follow her Bandcamp, buy some music, um, and support local artists. <laughs> Thank you so much, Kelly. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Rise Up Good Witch podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to directly support the creation and production of more important conversations about tarot, art, activism, herbal medicine, wellness culture, astrology, and more, please do consider joining our Patreon where you can sign up for a monthly contribution as low as $2 a month at patreon.com slash riseupgoodwitchremix. That's remix with two X's. Not in a place to contribute financially? I get it. Here are some totally free ways to support the livelihood of this important project, which are just as valuable. Leave us a review. Follow us on Instagram at at underscore riseupgoodwitch444. Share the show or link to your favorite episode on social media. Tell a friend or family member about us. Word of mouth is crucial for a scrappy DIY show like ours, and it's how a lot of people get connected in. Thanks again to everyone for all of your support, and I will see you again next time. Bye.